Hello and welcome back to SpinalCast. I'm your host, David Stevens, and joining us today are Dr. Jocelyn Block and Dr. Gregoire Cortine. Uh, Dr. Block is a neurosurgeon at the University Hospital of Lausanne, and Dr. Cortine is a neuroscientist with a background in physics. Uh, both are professors within the NeuroX Institute at the University of Lausanne in Switzerland. Both of you, thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure. Perfect. Uh, uh, so let's just go ahead and jump right in. First off, um, I think all of us here would like to congratulate you on your uh, your recent publications and success uh, across news organizations and, and various outlets around the world for your brain-spine interface. Um, actually, for us here at MCPF, it's particularly exciting um, as we were involved in some of the and providing some of the foundational funding uh, for that effort years ago. Um, so in basic terms, uh, can you kind of give us a little bit more of an understanding about how the technology works? Yeah, I mean, to make it simple, you know, the idea is this technology is focused on the restoration of leg movement, mobility after spinal cord injury. And normally to walk, the brain has to send a command to the region of the spinal cord that normally control leg movement. Okay. And when there is a spinal cord injury, the communication between the brain and the spinal cord is interrupted. And the consequence, as we know, is complete paralysis. Mm -hmm. Now, we restore the communication between the brain and the spinal cord with what we call a digital bridge. Okay. Meaning a technology that enables to transform thought into action. So there are two implants, one in the brain, one in the spinal cord, that enable to record brain activity and one to stimulate the spinal cord. This is when I pass the parole to Jocelyn, who will explain you because she's a neurosurgeon who implants this technology. <laughs> How does it really work? <laughs> Okay. Yeah. So we do two surgeries, one above the region of the brain that is controlling leg movement. Okay. And the other one above the region of the spinal cord that is controlling leg movements. So the first one is a, what we call a craniotomy. You, you open a bit the skin, you remove a piece of bone, and then you put in place an implant mm -hmm. that remains above the brain and not in the brain. How, lo how, lar how large of an implant is that? Um, in centimeters, it's five. Okay. In inches, I'm not sure. <laughs> that's pretty small. That's a, <laughs> I think that's a, a like this, yeah, right? right. Like a nickel. And, mm -hmm. and then the advantage is you completely close the skin and there are no wires coming out. Mm. So the second surgery, as I said, in above the, the spinal cord is also everything is inside. So you... You put the electrodes above the, the spinal cord and the neurostimulator, the little pacemaker in the region of the belly, and everything is closed. Wow. So that's the surgical uh, part. Yeah. This is the beauty. It's a fully wireless system. Right. And it, are there batteries involved or is it is it powered by, you know, human, human use? <laughs> Uh, so there are uh, several batteries. There's one battery in the pacemaker because we need to deliver a lot of electricity. Okay. The brain recording system is actually powered from the outside. So the patient, when they need to use it, put a helmet okay. that powers the implant and retrieves information, just like your iPhone. Mm -hmm. you know? and, and it's a beauty because for a neurosurgeon like Jocelyn, to put a battery near the brain is not a good news. Right. I, I, could, only, I could only imagine that's probably not an ideal scenario. So uh, how, how did you feel when you first saw one of your subjects stand um, and start taking steps? How, how, what, did, what was your 
you know, initial reaction to that? So I was here and G was not here, so I can oh, tell. <laughs> okay. So he was not here because he was not expecting it to happen so fast. Oh, wow. You know? Because he was the first day. He was yeah. on day one. That's so amazing. We, first, we thought that day one we would just you know, train the avatar, that we would just train the brain and do a, a bit of a movement of the hips. Yeah. But he was so fast that we could already ask him the first day to stand up and do some steps. Wow. And so I was very surprised. First of all, because, I mean, the technology was so fast. And second, I mean, it was easy for Gertian to, to, to take steps. Yeah. So how, how long after his injury was the implant put in? Um, so it's about 10 years. Oh, wow. So it's, so maybe what is important to stress David here is that, so as Jocelyn said, it, it worked on day one, but he had the implant for the spinal cord stimulation for three years. So this part was very well configured. Oh, it was just adding the brain implant and the link was so robust and powerful that he could use it to control mm -hmm. the stimulation. But we knew already how to control the stimulation. Okay. Mm -hmm. Very, very interesting. So it, it basically kind of proves the fact that it's it's a little bit like riding a bike. He did not forget, um, you know, the, that whatever, whatever information he needed to send was absolutely still there, even after 10 years of not, of not doing it. Um, that's very cool. Yes, yes, yes. At the same time, Gersian said he could like move his hip on day one, etc. But he did describe the process of really walking naturally and comfortably as relearning to walk as a toddler. Mm. Okay, very interesting. Mm -hmm. So, so the Morgan Cure Paralysis Fund (MCPF) is funding another project in your lab uh, for creating automatic calibration uh, for this system kind of alleviating the need for uh, manual calibration, um, which is necessary now. Can you kind of tell us more about that upcoming technology? Yeah, I, I would not say it's a different project. It's actually part of that project, but that the spinal cord stimulation part. Okay. Now, as I mentioned, Gersian had the stimulation for many years, so it was configured. Mm -hmm. But now you imagine tomorrow, which is our plan, is to implant many individuals with this digital bridge. And then Jocelyn will really put the implant in, a person without any implant. Then on day one, what you have to do first is to configure the spinal cord stimulation. And this is when this project that you have funded is helping tremendously because instead of having three PhD students, you know, configuring the stimulation, right. very complicated, you're going to have an AI system that automatically will configure where to stimulate, when to stimulate. So this therapy can be scaled up and shared with many different centers across the world. That's amazing. And that sort of technology is also going to, like you said, it goes all around the world. You're able to branch this solution um, to so many more patients um, and allow more people to recognize the benefits of, of the technology. That's our objective. So following the implant, Jocelyn, uh, how, how long does it take to heal? Follow, well, either any of the implants, I guess, because there's, there's numerous. Do you typically... I, it sounds like um, the bridge is kind of, I, I hate to say installed, <laughs> but the bridge is uh, implanted early, um, earlier than the other two pieces. So um, are there multiple surgeries and how long does each of those last um, as far as healing is concerned? So there are two surgeries. Okay. That was your 
functions, huh? the, the one above the brain and the one uh, on the spinal cords. Okay. So as Gregoire told you, they were not done simultaneously. One was done two years before the other. Mm -hmm. So the first one was the spinal cord uh, stimulation is a half a day surgery. But wow. it heals, everything is closed after, and the, the day after the surgery, already the patient can go home. They can sit. Oh, and wow. We ask him to rest, not to do too much for a week. But I mean, the very first day, he's already fine after the surgery. Very cool. So the second surgery is even, I would say, faster. It took two hours max. And uh, the recovery was extremely rapid. So, because mm. they most don't feel anything after that. So that's, uh, I think, two. Uh, for now, these surgeries, the first one I said half a day, probably in the future it will last long, less time. Right. Because you know, we still do a lot of recordings during the surgery to make sure that everything is in place. It's still at a research level, you know. It's at the, the first steps of uh, our this new treatment. Mm -hmm. But in the future, I feel that this is going to be faster. But Jocelyn, I think you envision to implant both at the same time in the future, no? when is the treatment? Yes, I'm sure that this will be a possibility. So for, for the next few, probably we'll still do, you know, the idea is also to do it next in for the arm, mm -hmm. for the upper extremity, and we'll do it in two different days because we still need some time and we don't want to hurry and to rush. But I think in the future, when it will be a real treatment, this can be, it will be performed in one day. Very cool. So I, I know, you know, based on the one subject we were discussing, he had the, you know, the bridge implant for two years before he got the second surgery. Um, have you done testing and do you know if there, if, is there a benefit to having that bridge uh, implanted for a period of time before getting the, the cranial implant? Uh, yes, I mean, Gertian, for example, as Grégoire told you before, is could be could train with the, the spinal cord implant only. Mm -hmm. You know, he, he not walk naturally the way he's doing now, but at least he could rebuild muscles and he could start moving, take steps and rebuild muscles. So his condition was much better after the first surgery than it was at the very beginning. So the bridge, the second, the second surgery helped him to be more natural in his way of walking. You know, he's much more natural now. Got it. But he was already in a quite a good condition. So we did not take him from zero, you know? Right. Very cool. So I guess my, my question there then lies, you know, if you do, were to do the surgeries both at the same time, is there worry that there would be a much longer period before they were able to see the major benefit? Well, it's not a, a worry, it's a certitude. So the, you know, the, the power of our approach is that the key is the spinal cord stimulation that reactivates the region of the spinal cord that is disconnected from the brain and dormant. So we make it very functional. Mm -hmm. So this takes many months of training to really see the benefits of the stimulation to enable full weight bearing standing, coordinated step, etc. Then the brain enables this to be very natural. This doesn't mean that we cannot do it from the very beginning with a brain implant. I think in the future, that's how we envision it. But the key is the spinal cord stimulation and this many months of training to get to a point that is very functional. Got it. Got it. That makes a ton of sense. Um, so kind of going back to the, the system as a whole, um, if it's not turned on, are they still able to, to gain any benefits from it and or do any walking? 
Yes, I mean, but this because of training. Right. You know, the very day if we had switched on the, the bridge without any training, would not have been, I mean, with a switch off of the bridge, he could not have been able to walk. Mm -hmm. The reason now why he's able to take some steps with the system switched off is that he trained a lot. And she's going to tell you what happens when you train a lot. With yeah. what, what we have shown, at least in preclinical model, is that when you train with this type of technology, you promote the growth of new nerve connection. So you increase the communication between the brain and the region of the spinal cord below the injury that is normally disconnected. Mm. And that's what we would call like neural repair. This is a true biological repair. I like to call it digital repair of the spinal cord because of, of the technology. Yeah. And this is what also is very exciting that you can even have benefit without the digital bridge turned well, on. Well, it, it reminds me of, you know, someone who loses their sight or um, loses one of their senses and all of a sudden their brain starts changing things to allow them to benefit from that or, you know, increase other senses and mm -hmm. able to be able to um, use those to, to help them navigate. And so I can only imagine they've been without something and now you open the gate and the brain's like, hey, we want to we wanna make more connections down here and start utilizing this to its full potential. So that's, I guess, a portion of your research that I hadn't even thought about, but is incredibly interesting and exciting. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, and it can be applied because you know the same happen. For example, after a stroke, you see people who have a stroke, they have a paralysis. Many recover to some extent spontaneously. This is a process of reorganization of the nervous system. Mm -hmm. And with this type of digital bridge, we can increase this natural process to maximize the recovery. Awesome. And it's true after spinal cord injury and probably after other neurological disorder. Amazing. Well, let's talk about other work going on in your in your laboratory. Is there any other exciting stuff that you guys are working on that uh, we haven't discussed yet? I mean, there's, there's, that was a loaded question because I know there's a lot. <laughs> there's, there's so much, but I think the more imminent, exciting uh, breakthroughs uh, we hope is going to happen in August. Jocelyn, tell them what you're going to do. Yeah, we are going to apply the same technology, the same strategy, but for hand and arm paralysis mm. after uh, you know a cervical high cervical uh, injury wow and then people quadriplegic who cannot move the the arm hands and lower extremities and who want to acquire some mobility of the upper extremity we we are going to do this bridge again putting a, an implant above the motor cortex of the re, uh, responsible for the movement of the hand and arm mm -hmm. and another um, uh, sets of electrodes above the region of the cervical spinal cord that is controlling hand movements and will re-establish the same type of digital connection. Wow. And that's going to happen in August. Yeah, this is super exciting. You should also tell them about the hemodynamic, the treatment for autostatic hypotension. Yes, that's another very interesting uh, therapy that we've been developing these uh, few, last few years. Mm -hmm. You know, people with a high uh, spinal cord injury have a lot of uh, autonomic problems. This means, you know, that they have trouble to uh, stabilize the blood pressure because you know, the, the, the autonomy system is controlling the blood pressure. And mm -hmm. after a spinal cord injury, you have a lot of uh, what we call hypotension. Yep. The 
pressure goes down, you have syncopes, you don't feel well, a lo loss of energy. And uh, so we found the, the, the hot spot of the spinal cord that is uh, controlling the blood pressure. Which oh, wow. Is in the area of the thoracic spinal cord, so where you have the, yeah. the ribs, the, the last ribs, the, mm -hmm. this area here. So we put electrodes above the spinal cord in this region, and we can immediately, after the surgery, control the blood pressure. Oh. And what we've seen in the people, without training this time, you know, with for walking or movement, you need training, but yeah. for blood pressure, it's an immediate response. You switch on the stimulator and whoop, blood pressure goes up, people feel well. And that's and it's truly life-changing. I mean, Justin Noah is treating 10 patients and all of them are like, wow, I feel like energized, more Absolutely. like eager to handle life, etc. Our founder, Peter Martin, um, his, his injury, he is a quadriplegic. And uh, I, I know he is, you know, on different systems that manage and regulate blood pressure. And so I'm sure something like this is, you know, it's it's life changing, mm -hmm. especially for somebody who has um, lived their life in a certain way for so long, with no improvements and no changes, and then all of a sudden, yeah, yeah. you know, like mm -hmm. you said, you flip the switch, and else it's like the lights just came on. So you know, like Justine implanted a few months ago, the president of the Swiss Paraplegic Foundation, who is a, a young seventy-four years old tetraplegic. Has been tetraplegic for 40 wow. years. And he was the oldest patient so far. She implanted him and, you know, turned on the stimulation, completely changed his life. It's like, wow, it's amazing how much energy I have now. And also, it enabled the stabilization of the trunk. So now he's going, listen to this, skiing, not on right. a wheelchair, of course, but skiing on the slope of Switzerland, turning on the stimulation because he feels great and stabilizing. Oh, his my trunk. goodness. That is a wonderful story. And incredibly impressive I, I you know it's it's these types of interviews that give us hope and excitement for for the scientific world as a whole and and really where not only on not only hope david this is coming to people because we are going to start a pivotal trial with uh, the company onward medical to make this available for everyone so within like two years normally this therapy will be widely available that is even better well, so that kind of leads into my next question. So uh, clearly there's loads and loads of research to be done, um, especially in, in the spinal cord injury space. How do you decide, you know, what projects that your, your team and that you guys want to focus on? Um, like, how did you determine that this was the path you wanted to take? It's difficult <laughs> because that's what we want to do. And people who know us always think that we should focus a bit more and do less because we have too many ideas. But what we try to do is we try to meet uh, every six months with our, you know, heads, the, the people who are in charge of the projects. We meet together, we see the advances of the different projects and we decide what, are, what is becoming priority and not. And we, we try to organize the best we can our time and... Uh, yeah. <laughs> this is one of the, the beauty of the, the center we have put together with Jocelyn. So, so we, you understand, we are co-director of this center with a lot of scientists, mm -hmm. basic scientists, applied scientists, and neurosurgeon, medical doctor, physical therapist. So we really cover like a broad range of speciality between Jocelyn and myself. And we really empowered very talented people to lead this project. Right. 
And we really meet with them, of course, weekly, but also, as she say, like every six months to really define priority vision within a year and five years. And that's really, I think, what is very special about our center and that's what enables us to develop all these therapies because there are many more that are So coming. an interesting question about that is with, the, with this group and this, this um, you know, kind of advisory board, as it were, um, of, of people who are kind of dis- determining the direction you want to go, are there um, any injured individuals on that committee? Like, are there, do you have any people who are suffering from paralysis involved in those discussions? It's not really a committee. There are scientists okay. you know, working with yeah. us. And uh, for now, there is no one that has been injured. But we have in our center sometimes students with a spinal cord injury who are working with us for a project. Yeah. But but among the, the leading team, the science leading team, there is no one injured. But, you know, we have so many participants of our clinical trials mm-hmm. and we keep collecting information, requests from them. Even all the therapy that have been published so far, we keep improving them based on the feedback from the participants. Right. We have a lot of new features, which we never publish because it's for one patient, another patient, etc. Absolutely. Like very personalized, a lot of input from them also on their priority, etc. Awesome. So when you, when you look at the, the global scale of research and, and what else is going on around the world, um, are there other projects that you guys um, have seen and or heard about that you think are also very promising? Uh, I mean, there are two, two sides to this question. One is, I mean, what is very promising is, I think, what we are doing with like neuromodulation. Mm-hmm. Yet, we know that it's not a cure for paralysis. You know, we have to calibrate expectation. Our patients are not working normally. It's just not enough. It's not right. a cure. And we, Justin and I, are determined to work toward the cure. We don't know whether we will achieve this within our lifetime, but we'll put all our energy to achieve this dream. This means for us combining all what we are doing with biological repair interventions, mm. which we are not well known for yet, but we have been working on for almost 20 years. And no combining like a, broadly, I would call it gene therapy, but multifaceted gene mm-hmm. therapy. We have been able to regrow cut nerve across complete spinal cord injury, mm. down the spinal cord to reestablish like true recovery after spinal cord injury in mice. So it's very preliminary, but we are convinced enough of the the exciting outcome of this research to start in non-human primate research. So Jocelyn now is going to start this gene therapy treatment in non-human primate. And we hope it will be successful because this will be making a huge difference for patients. Absolutely. Well... (laughs) I, I now see how, how you might have someone tell you, you guys are doing too many things all at once. Because uh, it sounds yeah, like you're yeah, quite do. busy and, and you know, checking every avenue, which it, for people like us who are, are in search of a cure just like you, but we don't have the, the brains or the capabilities or the resources to really do it. Um, it's really uh, exciting and invigorating for me personally to hear how passionate you are and how dedicated the two of you have been um, to this process and, and to identifying a cure and not just, not just improving lives, which you're already improving lives immensely, but finding that cure is really, I think where everybody's passion lies and that's exciting to hear you say. So um, in, in, in your eyes, Jocelyn, 
what does the future of spinal cord injury look like? I know we kind of have alluded to it, but specifically um, from your point of view, what's the future of spinal cord injury? I hope that the future will change from the current I mean, status. Yeah. I mean, that, you know, that uh, until now, when you go to med school, you think that after a spinal cord injury, if you have not recovered after six months, you'll be in your wheelchair all your life. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I hope that uh, the new med students during the ne- within the next few years will learn a different concept. Right. Uh, so I'm not sure yet if we are going to repair completely the spinal cord, but at least if we can give hope and tell the patients when they arrive at the hospital with a spinal cord injury that they have a potential to recover something and not, you know, just stay like this. I think it's already a good change. It's a good hope for me. It's a good change of paradigm. Yeah, I would completely agree with that. And Dr. G, do you, uh, do you have any thoughts on what you think the future of spinal cord injury looks like? I mean, it's hard to say, but at least we have reached the point when, as Justin said, the Dogma was, you have a spinal cord injury. If you are paralyzed after six months, you will remain paralyzed for the rest of your life. And today we have shown in a few participants that it was possible to regain standing, some stepping, some like what is perceived at least for a participant as a meaningful neurological recovery. And now it's our mission uh, with Jocelyn, and that's why we founded the company, to scale up this treatment and make them available for everyone who needs them. And that's a big challenge for us for the next five right. years to make sure that by the end of the decade, people can really use their te- these technologies to improve their recovery. And I think it's a, it's a pivotal part. It's one thing to, you know, invent the technology and get it working and, and prove that there's value in it. But it's a whole nother thing to be able to distribute it and actually make it valuable to a large number. Um, because it's, it's clear there's not, there's not just five people on the planet that are paralyzed. There are a lot more than that. And uh, so being able to mm-hmm. a- address that is is hugely important. All right, last question. And this is kind of a doozy, but uh, in your opinion, what is required to get research to move faster? I think a lot of people um, who support our organization or people who are paralyzed and in a chair um, and have been for years, they're constantly you know like why haven't we had more progress where like what is taking so long and so in your in your opinions uh what would help move research along faster not just your research but any research yeah i mean for the longest time we did not really know what was the target how to improve recovery Uh, so there have been a lot of uh, hope you know i would say 20 years ago with single molecules Mm -hmm that were found to promote growth of nerve fibers, some regeneration. And now we are less naive. We understand that, you know, repairing the spinal cord is a very complex process that will not, you know, require just put some stem cells or one molecule that, you know, maybe we grow nerve fibers. Um, on the other hand, neuromodulation have shown that we cannot cure paralysis, but have an impact for people. And at this stage, I think, as you said, it's critical to scale it up. And, you know, one cannot emphasize enough the complexity to go from an egal one patient to an hundred. Mm-hmm. 
this scale, you know, is a huge effort. And that means a lot of funding for sure. That's obvious. You know, if you ask, you know, what needs to happen to move research faster, more yeah. funding, it's kind of obvious. And thank you, Morton Cure Paralysis Foundation to yeah. help us. It is incredibly helpful. But not only, I think also people need to work together to make this happen. You know, at the stage where we at, at, uh, I mean, we have been touring with Jocelyn to talk to center, for example, throughout the U.S. to be involved in pivotal trial, designing the trial to make sure we succeed in scaling up the therapy. So we need to work all together to make this happen. Yeah, we should not lose the opportunity for the first time to really have a treatment. Mm -hmm. You know, this will make the difference. If the day will have a treatment reimbursed by the entrances, accepted by all, diffused to all the patients with a spinal cord injury, it will be a very important achievement and it will uh, change the paradigm, open more, you know, possibilities for research. But this next step to have a treatment, we should not miss this opportunity. You know, it's, it's difficult actually to get the approval and to have the funding to make it everything on time. Because from the anecdotal few patients that are like Gertian, you saw with the digital bridge mm -hmm. to the possibility to reach everyone, as Gregor said, it's a, it's a huge effort. And we, we, we have the, the mission. Yeah. <laughs> All of us, you and thank you. <laughs> yeah. And both. And the rest of our team to not to remain anecdotal and to to develop a real treatment. And to this respect, David, like Justin, she like what she emphasizes is like the community even needs to say we want this treatment, you know, because there's a lot of uh, advocacy that can be done also at the level of insurances of the FDA or like, right. You know, you have a very complicated path to market or a simplified path to market. And you know, spinal cord injury is an orphan disease that deserve to have a treatment available. Right. So we hope that you know the hurdles to move mm -hmm. there are not too significant, and we manage to succeed. Incredible. I mean, every every answer uh, you guys have provided today has been incredible. Um, as far as my questions are concerned, I think you've answered all of them. I think that's all we have time for today. Um, but I just wanted to say thank you again for joining us here on SpinalCast. Um, it's, it's been a fantastic discussion. Everybody who's watching us at home, if you're watching on YouTube, please hit that uh, subscribe button and bell icon. If you're listening to us on your favorite podcast platform, you could always give us a follow. Um, but Jocelyn and G, thank you again for, for joining us. It's uh, it's been awesome to learn more about your amazing work. And uh, I think all of us here at MCPF and hopefully all of our listeners are also excited for what the future will bring. Thank you, Thank you so much. And you know, remember, just, just Lynn and I and all our team, more than 100 people are dedicated to develop treatment for people with spinal cord injury. So that's why we are here today. Thank you. Love it. Perfect. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye.